It's time to take your seat in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. Here's your host, Mike Vaccaro. Hey, thank you, Chuck, and welcome, everybody. Episode number 15 is upon us in the front row with Mike Vaccaro. I am your host, Mike Vaccaro. Behind the scenes, as always, doing a great job. It's J.R. Quitman, our creator, producer, and director. And when he created this show, I don't know if he thought or if I thought we were going to have a Hall of Famer on the show, but that's what we have today. Artis Gilmore, a Naismith Basketball Hall of Famer, played in the ABA, played in the NBA, doing some broadcasting now as well. The A-Train, he is our guest in episode number 15, a Hall of Famer, it's Artis Gilmore. Again, Artis, we, we greatly appreciate you joining us here today. Uh, I know you're a busy man. You, you work on uh, the broadcast for your alma mater, Jacksonville University. So take a little time off uh, that schedule to join us here and talk about your career, which uh, what a career you have had and continue to have. And I, I want to go back to the very beginning, you know, growing up in, in Chipley, Florida for you, you were born in 1949. You're one of 10 kids. And I, I guess... Height was always a part of your life. You were 6'5 at age 15. What was it like growing up in Florida at that time? And, and did you utilize that height? Were you playing basketball right away as a, as a young child? Uh, no, no, Michael, actually not. Because, uh, as you mentioned, the 10 kids in the, in the family, there was a, a lack of uh, support, you know, family support, being able to uh, accommodate all of those kids. And so, no, basketball was not a, a priority. I was starting to uh, develop and grow a little bit, but uh, I, you know, and I use the term nutrition. We were liking nutrition and number of things. And, and it was a, and it was a time in this country where the pressure of uh, relationships between whites and black was uh, even more challenging. So um, basketball was not a priority and, until later, but it allowed me to, you know, to move away. We had so many brothers and, and sisters in the family and a chance to get away. Uh, so I was, they put me on the team. I, I had a, an old pack, of really different kind of a shoes. They were called they would call a, a slip-ons, you know, tennis shoes. And it had the rubber across the top, and and they would, every time you move your feet, they just rip on the side. You put cardboard in there. And, but anyways, I was on the bench, and, um, and it was a really uh, a tough learning experience. I remember every time they called my name, I was like, oh, my God, I hope they don't call me, and they come out and play up. I'm not ready for this. And and I was just a, a big, long, linky kid. And and everybody looked at me and because of my size and everything, they thought I was ready to play. But uh, later I started to develop really slowly and I was able to get some shoes every, every year growing from 12 after having that pair of shoes at 12 and 13 and 14 without shoes. and. And then uh, later, actually having a pair of shoes that fit and everything, that's when uh, about 15, I was really starting to uh, gain interest and start to develop in the game of basketball. And I think about all of my colleagues and guys that 
uh, ahead of Maine. They they were developing very quickly because they had the, the support and, and things that was necessary for them in order for them to move forward. And and I speak in terms of guys like Blue Alcender and all the other, the great Bob Lanier. They had, they were living in cities and my little small city did not uh, provide those opportunities for me. So, but anyways, I was able to uh, play catch up. I, I moved from Chipley to uh, Cabo High School in Dothan, Alabama, my last year in high school, which was uh, then again, all black school. And I graduated from there. And for the first time I went to junior college because I was not prepared academically uh, to move to a major school. So uh, after spending two years at uh, Gardner Well, I was able to move forward. And uh, my friend Ernie, uh, he made the, the connection with uh, Joe Williams at uh, Jacksonville University. And he says, man, listen, I'm, I'm leaving Gardner Well, and, you know, hopefully you'll come with me. And this is a true story. And he said, well, Ernie, I'm all in, man. So he said, well, I'm going to reach out to Joe Williams and and uh, see if he have the interest uh, to bring me and you and I to uh, Jacksonville. Because Ernie was recruited when he was at Fall River. So he wrote the letter to Joe Williams. And, and Joe said, you know, well, <laughs> we'll come up and take a look at you. <laughs> But he came up and he liked, he really liked what he was viewing, liked what he saw. And so we both uh, decided, was able to transfer to Jacksonville. And uh, we, uh, uh, my, my, my junior year, we had a tremendously successful year. We ended up going to the final four and, and uh, losing to UCLA. And uh, that was, in no question, a, a memorable experience. And um, afterwards, I was drafted by both leagues, and and uh, I decided to go to the ABA because we spoke about earlier my uh, my family, and I thought about the, the the funds that would support them, and so the monies that was. Uh, offered to me was guaranteed monies and in the event that you know i receive a very severe injury that i would be able to continue to, to have those funds to support my my family and that was the reason everybody was still up in arms about me making that decision to uh, uh, uh deciding to go to the ABA instead of the NBA. In fact, I think they still hold that against me. <laughs> but it, it's been a challenge and a, a great career in winning a championship in Louisville, Kentucky in 1975. And, and they played one year additional after that. And then they put the uh, four teams in, in the dispersal draft. And, and then I was originally drafted by Chicago again. And so I went to Chicago and I spent six and a half years there. And, uh, and then uh, on to San Antonio 
And from there, after an awful lot of years, I was drafted, I was uh, selected to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, we're going to dive into a lot of these stories because, uh, again, that's that's brief, but uh, your life certainly uh, is is unique and a great story. It's a great uh, story growing up, again, that you didn't have the shoes and you developed into the player that you were. You know, what led you? You went to several different high schools. As you said, you ended up in Carver High School in Dothan, Alabama. What necessitate, necessitated that move for you away from your family to go uh, that far away? It was about 35 miles, I guess, from, from where you grew up. Absolutely. And, and because of uh, the issues uh, um, between whites and black and, and the school, uh, that was the, the, the really uh, decision I made because of that. Uh, and, and dealing with the very intense environment. And that was, you know, it was enough pressure on me with the family not having being able to provide for me as far as clothes and a number of other things. And uh, that certainly weighed on the decision to move uh, to Cobb High School in Dothan, Alabama. Graduated in 1967. You were 6'10 at that time. And and again, it sounds like recruiting was a lot different back then in, in the late 60s. So how did you end up and make your way to, to Gardner-Webb in North Carolina? Well, actually, um, I was, uh, we played uh, a holiday basketball game with a number of schools, Booker T. Washington out of Montgomery and a couple of schools out of uh, uh, different uh, parts of, of the state in Georgia. I mean, big schools. And so we played three ball games that day and, and one day and, uh, they had a number of recruits from all over the country, including Villanova with George Ravlin and, and Eddie Holbrook was there. And, and because once again, uh, academically, I was not totally prepared to move to that next level. So um, I was encouraged and persuaded. And I certainly wanted that opportunity to move forward, you know, and not after graduating from high school, returning to the environment that I grew up in. I know that was a challenge and being able to find a way to move forward. And, and uh, I was the first uh, to graduate from uh, college. And I, I made that decision. Uh, I had an opportunity to, to leave early and, and certainly signed with the Harlem Globetrotters and uh, a couple of other teams where we're taking kind of underclassmen. But I wanted to graduate, set an example for my my younger members of the family, and, and I was able to do that. Again, you're one of 10 in the family. Where were you in the pecking order? Were you the oldest? I was the second oldest. Uh, my oldest brother, George, and then uh, myself, and then down the line, the rest of the brothers and sisters. Well, certainly you got that degree, but uh, outstanding career at Gardner-Webb as well. You eventually went to their Athletics Hall of Fame, but you know you led them to the, the junior college tournament back in 68 and 69, and it was a time for you. You averaged over 22 points, 16 rebounds. What was it like? Were you, did you feel like you were finally coming into your own? As you said, you got the late start as compared to some of the other big guys at that time, but did you feel like Gardner-Webb really gave you a chance to come into your own as a basketball player? 
Well, um, again, spending the time at Gardner Webb was a transition period for me and, and learning uh, because I remember the, uh, growing up the very tense environment and and, uh, um, and and there were so many things that happened when I was a kid. So uh, it, it was kind of a, a late experience and I learned some that was able to absorb some things at uh, at Gardner Webb, and but everything really accelerated uh, once I was able to transfer to uh, Jacksonville University. Tell me about uh, Eddie Holbrook, your head coach at Gardner Webb. Was, was he someone again that you looked to as as a role model, and again helped you to get to to Jacksonville after that as well? Uh, not really. Eddie Holbrook were they were excited. Uh, Gardner Webb was a two-year program, but not recognizing that the intent was to move a change into a four-year institution. And they certainly uh, made every effort to encourage and persuade myself and all of the others to stay uh, because they was going to add a third year and then a fourth year. But of course, we were not aware of that when we first signed up with Gardner but. Eddie Holbrook was, uh, he was a teacher, really tough, tough teacher. And, and, and for me, it was, it was kind of difficult because I had never experienced that kind of a tense relationship with the, with the white man, you know? And so I, I didn't know how to really accept it and, and, and how to, uh, uh, to, to digest it and, and, and incorporate that into uh, a learning process in my life. But uh, Eddie was very persuasive and he uh, and I was able to absorb uh, uh, portions of the game that I was not aware of. And then of course it really elevated to the next level. Once I, uh, uh, my departure from Gardner Webb and moving forward to uh, uh, Jacksonville University. Were you seven two at the at this point, going from Gardner Webb to Jacksonville? Uh, probably not quite. I was I was moving slowly because, you know, when I look back and when I, after reaching the age of eighteen, that was during the time they were really taking uh, young players, a young uh, uh, individual personnel into uh, the military. And they were sending them straight to Vietnam. And just after I reached 18, and I remember stretching because <laughs> I was really afraid. I had so many of my classmates had uh, departed and, and, and went, gone to uh, Vietnam. And no sooner that they arrived, you know, they were sent back home, uh, uh, of course, in, in a box. And so, uh, I, w I was afraid after hearing so many of those uh, tragic situations. And so I remember I said, I went to the local board and and I was stretching to make sure that I reached the six, eight mark because that was, that was kind of the cutoff spot. And so, um, yes, I was around six, eight years uh, at, at that height. 
when uh, they made the decision, when it says, well, we're going to put you in, in a 4F category, which meant that uh, uh, that's permanent. Uh, but then that could possibly change, you know, if they, if there was an emergency that they could change it, but they was trying to, uh, and think in terms of a, a more permanent category to, to group me and with uh, others that was too tall to actually go in to enter the military. That's crazy. That's, that's, that's an incredible story there that your height certainly kept you away from that opportunity. And, and again, as you said, you went to Jacksonville University. You were persuaded to go there by your, your teammate. Were you getting offers to go elsewhere? I mean, again, the, the career you had at Gardner-Webb, your, your size, I've got to imagine you had some opportunities to go uh, to a lot of different places. Well, we, we did. We had a, a couple of – Ernie and I went out to visit Iowa, and uh, there was a couple other uh, institutions, but we were kind of – uncomfortable that knowing that Gardner Webb was making, uh, moving very quickly, trying to in, persuade us to uh, maintain uh, our relationship with the, with the Gardner Webb. So uh, we visit just a couple of institutions. We did not, we, we actually had an opportunity to visit Gar, uh, to uh, Jacksonville. And so we were really excited about the fact that the personality and the mindset was so different uh, with Joe Williams and Tom Wasden. Uh, and uh, I think that was uh, the persuasive and, and, and encouraging uh, decision, helped us to make that decision to uh, uh, come to Jacksonville University. Yeah, certainly one uh, that you look back fondly, I'm sure, is you, know, you were there from 1969 to 1971. As you said, 1970, you went all the way to the championship game before coming up short to UCLA. Did you think going into that year you were going to have that type of season where you know you can more or less put Jacksonville on the map a little bit and, and, and get all the way to the championship game? Well, uh, after the opportunity to spend some time with Joe Williams, and this, again, the early transition for me being able to associate with, uh, with white folks that, I mean, it was, it was just, a, it was quite an, a transition for me, you know, knowing that uh, how intense in the relationship, the things that happened back uh, in my earlier years and uh, I'm not going to go through all the details what what happened during that time frame, but it was a kind of a, a, a very tense moment. But Joe was able to uh, help me to relax and be become a comfortable, and and actually help me. It was a great step in assistance to help me develop and become a mature individual because in some of that fear. Uh, was able to leave behind. And so uh, that transition to Jacksonville was huge for me. And that was the, the really magic moment that helped me to really just excel and become uh, a, a different, very talented athlete. Yeah, it sounds like a, a transformative time for you as an athlete, maybe as a, an individual as well. Is that what you look at? 
your time in Jacksonville that have maybe prepared you for, for life beyond that, maybe not just on the court, but off it as well? Uh, absolutely. I mean, that was, uh, and, 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 and I love that word, transformative. And that's what exactly what happened. Uh, I was able to, uh, to, to move forward and, and develop mentally and, uh, and learn so much about uh, being able to uh, accept and understand not that the relationships and, and, and things had changed. I was thinking back in 1968, you know, uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated that year. And there was so much tense and turmoil in, in the entire country. And I, after experiencing so much of that in my earlier years, um, th that word transformative, uh, was very much a, a major uh, uh, a, a part of developing at Jacksonville University. And again, on the floor, outstanding, getting all the way to that championship game. What, what do you remember about that championship game? As I said, you came up a little bit short. 80-69 to 69 was the final score. It was played at, at uh, Cole Fieldhouse in uh, College Park, Maryland. What do you remember about going up against uh, – you know, UCLA at the time, it was Sidney Wicks who was leading them to the, the championship. Well, we we knew that that was going to be a, a challenge. And um, after um, really working and getting off to a good start, I remember the tip ball. I tipped it to Rex Morgan. He was able to take it straight to the basket and score. And then we started to feel very comfortable and uh, at halftime, we thought that the score was pretty close. And, and of course, they was able to go in, uh, Coach Wooten and uh, Coach uh, Denny Crum, assistant coach Denny Crum, they were able to go in and make some adjustments. And we, we were not. We weren't ready for the experience. And, and as a result, they was able to come back on the, to the floor in the second half and make some things happen to take advantage of us and uh, end up uh, winning the ball game. You had an outstanding career at Jacksonville. I had to think that you were the focal point of a lot of opposing defenses. How was that like for you? You know, did you, how did you overcome that? Because again, you're seven, two averaging a double, double more than 24 points, more than 22 rebounds uh, in your career at Jacksonville. What was it like to be the focal point of every team's defense? Well, I, I really never really thought of it as, as, uh, as uh, being the individual that uh, preparing uh, defensively against. But uh, there is one story in particular. You know, Florida State was one of the best teams in that coached by Hugh Durham. And, uh, and I was told, and sometimes, uh, you know, I've asked, uh, Hugh, Hugh Durham has spent a lot of time in Jacksonville and ended up coaching the, the Dolphins for a number of years. And so we become, we develop a really good relationship. And I always joke with uh, Hugh Durham. I said, uh, you know, I grew up in Chipley, Florida, which is, you know, in a sense, uh, about 80 miles west of uh, Tallahassee. And uh, uh, Florida A&M, 
none of those schools thought about extending man invitation. So um, that's an if there is any indication, any kind of an indication how far I was behind in the game of basketball. No interest in, of course, no way to recruit. I mean, you send out a letter by Pony Express and it might reach the destination. But uh, the story was that in order to prepare to defend defense against me, that he would uh, take a tennis racket and uh, he would use that. Now, I, I, that's what I was told, that he would use a tennis racket to hold the ball up. I mean, and that, that uh, everybody had to shoot over this tennis racket. So uh, if that was any kind of an indication of preparation uh, for me defensively, uh, the one place that I heard was uh, was this story from uh, Florida State. But I'm sure there was other institution made some decisions, but it was very difficult to uh, defend against me blocking shots and and uh, assisting my team moving forward, especially in the defensive category. And of course, you mentioned I had double double, and I and I sure I made every effort to make sure that I wanted every rebound that came off the board. I was not going to even allow my teammates. So I was I was always above that, and then certainly. Uh, I wasn't interested in, uh, really not interested in scoring, but uh, I, I was able to score uh, uh, in double points, 20 points. So I was one of uh, uh, four or five players in the history of the game to be able to do that. Well, you're number one, the highest rebounding average in division one history at 22.7 rebounds a game as you said you you wanted every rebound and obviously you're seven two but what else goes into making and, and made you such a good rebounder well i remember when i was a kid uh this is kind of strange but uh the the light poles that had uh those extended support that supported the beam, the beams, and they were probably way over 10 feet. And I would run at full speed and they had little prickles on them, but I run and jump and catch, running at full speed and jump. And that, that was elevated and I would hold on for a while. And after the, mo after the, uh, Momentum had uh, kind of relaxed a little bit. I thought about it. So, wow, that's a long drop back to the ground. But that was really helpful. I always was reaching for the sky and finding ways to uh, elevate my my jumping and uh, from jumping on the on the stage and up and down. So. Um, I was able to uh, help with some, some develop some things that allow me to elevate my uh, skills and getting up off the floor. Yeah, some some different 
alternative training uh, measures you used there uh, growing up, and certainly it, it paid off. And as you said, 1976 drafted by the or 71, excuse me, uh, drafted by the Kentucky Colonels in the ABA draft, also drafted by the Bulls in the NBA draft. You go with the Colonels, and as you said, the guaranteed money was there. Ten years, $2.5 million, which nowadays isn't a lot of money. But as you said, back then, that was a lot of money, and you could help out your family with that. Was was that the driving force that, that led you to, you know, a, a new uh, league in the ABA? Absolutely. I don't know. I think that would probably exaggerate it, two-point-something million dollars. <laughs> But I, I did, I, I received a considerable sum of, of dollars. And uh, yes, absolutely, as I indicated before, growing up with, without, with the limited amount of things. So I was able to uh, do a number of things, especially with a large family and kids uh, that, that allow me to uh, help the family to, uh, uh, be able to do some things that was really positive in, in, in my younger brothers and sisters. Uh, it, it made a world of a difference. And again, that first year, you had great success with, with the Colonels. You were the ABA Rookie of the Year and the MVP, and you beat out a guy from the Virginia Squires. His name was, I think, Julius Irving, right? Dr. J. You beat out Dr. J for not only the Rookie of the Year, but the MVP as well. What do you remember about that season and, and how good of a season it was for you? Oh, it was it was really a, a, a great season. We uh, we had probably the best record. We had a really really good team, and and I think that was probably one of the uh, reason that allowed us to um, allow me to win that. I think we won like 64 games and lost 14 games uh, for that entire season. So uh, that would give me, that gave me the, the, the lead as far as uh, winning that, those particular uh, trophies. What do you remember about the ABA? And, you know, again, it's an upstart league going up against the NBA. You're seeing that obviously in a lot of sports through the, you know, the history of the, the sports landscape, uh, a lot on the, the football side of things. But what do you, what made that league special? Because you look at it now and obviously a lot of great players came from that league that were absorbed into the NBA. And it, it just seemed like a fun league and a fun time as well. Is that kind of what you remember about the ABA? Well, it was it was a fun time, and I I know because of the amount of monies that the the uh, the owners had invested, it, it made it very difficult for them because uh, there was no television contract, and so they really really wanted to uh, um, set up, make sure they had leverage enough that they could actually come to the NBA and and negotiate in good faith uh, as far as bringing the, the, the two leagues together. But because of the NBA having much more uh, uh, leverage, they were able to negotiate on their own terms. But um, I think one of the things that really hurt the ABA was uh, not having a, a national television contract. And so 
and, and that, that put them in a very difficult situation as far as pressure trying to maintain so that that, that time would come when they would be able to, to uh, 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 they was obviously able to compete with the NBA. And, and finally, when the merger came about, they, they brought about a number of, uh, of the uh, rules. They brought the three-point shot rule in. They brought the slam dunk contest. And, and they brought practically everything in except the, the colorful basketball. But um, the, the, the NBA, ABA was really, really an exciting league, league and, uh, and they, they were, uh, I think they was instrumental in changing the game and, and kind of, in a sense, making the game what it is today. Now you look at, uh, uh, the European players that came over and they are the ones that kind of uh, brought about stretching the league and, uh, and stretching the, the game, moving it out on the perimeter farther. Uh, guys like young Steph Curry and the things that he's able to do. And so uh, the, the ABA uh, certainly uh, made its mark in, in, in professional basketball. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the basketball, the red, white, and blue basketball. Obviously, that sticks out when you talk about the the ABA. And, uh, again, great career. You're also in the, the slam dunk contest back in 1976 in the ABA. Uh, what do you remember about that and that event? You know, was, was that something that was a little ahead of its time as well? Well, absolutely was a, uh, ahead of its time because, as I think about it, we had, uh, I think, Larry Keenan, George Gerben, uh had uh, David Thompson and and Julia Serving, and uh, I'm maybe leaving someone out. But actually, I was the very first person to go in that event. And of course, seven feet, I, I guess I was kind of thrown in because I was one of the stars. But I asked, you know, I had to ask, okay, where do I go from here? What, what do I, you know? What what do you want me to do here? And I and I made sure that uh, that I didn't miss a dunk. And and everybody was anticipating David Thompson to probably win the, the event, but I think he did a three sixty and he missed. And then you had uh, Julius Serving come in and brought about the the little excitement by going the full length of the floor, and running at full speed. And he was going to jump from the foul line, but I'm not so sure he made it all. <laughs> I think his foot could have landed inside, but he was able to elevate. And that was the, really the, the crowd pleaser and allow him to uh, win that uh, slam dunk contest. And, of course, he was the last one to go and uh, allow him to observe everything else had taken place. But nevertheless, Julius was a, an extraordinary talented uh, individual. Yeah, his dunk that you mentioned there, jumping from the free throw line, that's what Michael Jordan did later on in the NBA slam dunk contest to help him win it as well. So it was kind of a, a you know, paying tribute to to somebody ahead of him, the Dr. J, Julius Irving. And again, you had such great individual awards and individual career, but then you have the championship, 1974 to 1976, teamed up with Dan Issel with, with the Colonels, and you win the ABA championship. 
how much of a highlight is that championship in your career as you look back at it? Well, it means that I won a championship, you know, I, I, all through high school and, and through, uh, I probably should have won a, a couple more, but uh, that one championship mean that um, after a lifetime in the game, I was able to bring home a championship and, and being MVP, uh, no matter whether uh, you talk about the a NBA championships, uh, individual not winning, but there is so many guys uh, have not won uh, a championship, but walked away from the game. And I, and I, and I think about uh, Oscar Robinson, uh, his last year coming to Milwaukee and winning the championship with uh, Lou Sender. And uh, that was, and, and, and actually that was the last time he played. You know, he never played another game afterwards, but uh, he was able to get that championship, a, a very elusive, you know, for him. Uh, I remember my first game watching um, the Boston Celtics going home with my friend, and my teammate, who was from Fall River, Massachusetts, and we went to see a basketball game at the Garden, my first time ever, and sit, watching uh, Bill Russell and uh, uh, Oscar Robinson, whom was playing with the Cincinnati Royals at that time. But uh, uh, Oscar had some phenomenal, great years, double-double, triple-doubles, and not a, in fact, they probably do, do not have a record of all of his accomplishments. But uh, at, in the end, he was able to win that championship. And that, that kind of uh, sums it up for most, most guys. If, if you actually have that championship ring, yeah, kind of completes your resume to get that championship. And again, you did in the NBA, uh, in the ABA, you were the the MVP that year in the the playoffs as well. Did that make that even more special? You win a championship, and then you're the guy that's recognized as as that special player for your team. Absolutely, it does. It really does because uh, I had that uh, those are elusive moments in the NBA not having enough really support to really uh, uh, make that uh, run for the uh, uh, NBA championship. And again, on that team, you played alongside Dan Issel. What was that relationship like for you two guys? I mean, you mentioned, you know, black and white and, and your relationships growing up and the, and the, the struggles there. What was that like for you guys to to play alongside each other and be a big part of the success of that team? Yeah, I, I was thinking back, and we we had a relationship. I mean, going all the way back, we beat Kentucky University of Kentucky in the NC two A in route to the championship, and then of course uh, uh, the people in, in in Kentucky they resented that, but. After after the draft, and they made the decision to uh, bring me to uh, Louisville. Uh, it become really special, you know. Uh, uh, our relationship developed, and 
we were and still is we're like brothers we we have a great 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 relationship and you played your games uh at Freedom Hall as well. A lot of fans know that from uh, Louisville, Kentucky and, and Louisville Cardinals playing there. What kind of facility was that like at the time back in the, the mid and uh, early 70s? Oh, Freedom Hall was really, really good considering uh, a couple of times we had some incidents to happen. So we had to move our, our games downtown to a really little small place and uh, – but uh, Freedom Hall was really, really a great place to play. So eventually the ABA disbands. Several teams go to the NBA. Was it the, the Pacers, Nuggets, the Nets, and the Spurs? You mentioned the dispersal draft, and you go to Chicago. Were you sad to see the ABA go, or, or were you excited about this, this new venture and, and getting to play in the NBA now? I think it was a combination because I thought perhaps, uh, you know, I'm really established. I had been in Louisville for five years, had a home, and uh, I had a daughter and, a, and another one was, was on the way. So that was a, a really uh, a great environment, uh, a, a place to uh, place to play. And I, I, I was really thinking that we we probably would have been uh, uh, one of the expansion teams, but that portion of it did not materialize. And certainly we were we were uh, excited about it. You know, you go from winning a championship to the ABA, as you said, you struggled a little bit early on in your career as a team with the Bulls, was that a tough transition time for you to, to go from such great success and then to see this thing take a while to build back up with the Bulls? Well, you know, I, I really can't pinpoint exactly because they had just changed coach. Uh, Ed Badger had come in and, uh, uh, and they had actually Jerry Sloan as, uh, uh, as one of the assistants. Jerry was actually supposed to be my teammate, but because of, um, some injury, an, an injury that he received that were, uh, he did not heal up very quickly. Uh, so he ended up being one of the assistant coaches. Uh, so I think that, and then trying to work with some of the veteran players. And in fact, they ended up making some changes. Uh, Bob, Bob Love was there and he, they end up moving Bob Love and sending him to Portland. And so uh, after making some changes, we were able to uh, uh, put it together and, and make some things happen. In fact, they had one of the great players of all time, Chet Walker, and Chet had just retired. And so it was a, just quite of a, a transition period. But uh, finally – you know, after a period of time, we were able to put it together. Yeah, as you said, you, you did put it together there. And you spent, what, six years there with the Bulls. And, you know, every every move you made previously in your career was was you, you doing it, whether it was high school, whether it was junior college to college and then going to the ABA. But then you were eventually traded for the first time. What what was that like to, to get traded away from the Bulls to the, the Spurs back in uh, in 1982? 
Well, I mean, I was shocked and and totally surprised. Uh, in fact, I found out the news. We had uh, made a trip. My wife and I. We were we was traveling from returning from uh, China, and uh, I got the news in midway and of course and <laughs> route back returning home. And of course, my wife was expecting a. We was expecting another child. I think a fourth child. And uh, she was huge, and she was big, and we were trying to get home, and and uh, she was so uncomfortable. I said, you know, we normally would have stopped it, and uh, just dropped in a hotel for. Uh, just to allow her to get some rest, but we wanted we wanted to get back and find out what was going on. But you know, before I, I actually found that information out that uh, I had been traded in route home, so it was not like anything that we had talked about or, uh, or somebody had informed me that you know we were looking at uh, uh, negotiating moving you to another location. Uh, so that part was a surprise, but once I, you know, was able to return and get settled in San Antonio and meet my new teammate, George Gervin, and I was excited about, uh, started to really get excited about the, the possibilities. Was that a moment where you really realized that, okay, it's a sport, but it's a business as well, and you know, when you get traded, it's it's a business decision sometimes for these teams. Well, I, I think I kind of understood that even uh, during the time uh, that I was with the uh, Kentucky Colonels, start observing things that was taking place that certainly uh, encouraged me to, to be able to understand that everything is is a transaction. As you mentioned, your routine with uh, the Iceman, George Gervin. Uh, so you're with San Antonio, 82 to 87. What was that pairing like? And and how did he maybe make you better and, and vice versa? Well, George was an experienced player. And, and the one thing that George, he really loved the game. And everything was fun for him. And he just laughed and smiled and, and practiced in the game. So uh, he was serious when it came down to playing, but he also uh, recognized that uh, he was the leader on the team and, and whatever the things that he needed to do to keep his uh, teammates into it and comfortable. And, and George was very good with that. From the Spurs, spent a little time again with the Bulls and also with the Celtics a little bit as well. So you talked about going to the Garden, watching Bill Russell play against Oscar Robertson. What was it like when you became a Celtic? Because, again, you look at the NBA and the history even at that time, obviously what a franchise it was, winning championships. Bill Russell, one of the most decorated players in basketball. What was it like to, to be a Boston Celtic and don that jersey? I tell you, it was really incredible and really, really incredible. I think, uh, as I spoke to you earlier about my first time ever watching a basketball was in the garden with uh, the Cincinnati Royals 
and then uh, Bill Russell watching those two guys compete. And I, you know, I, I had never seen a professional basketball game before. And then after a thousand years returning <laughs> and, and actually finishing my career, but uh, the real experience was watching uh, the, the, uh, the Celtics organization, how they really engaged and got involved with their players and the organization administration and had that winning mentality. I mean, and I had never experienced anything like that with all the other teams. And they just put a club out there on the team. But whatever pieces that the the Celtics need, they made efforts to put those together because it was about winning in their tradition. And they, and after observing that, I said, oh, my goodness, I wish I would have learned something like that earlier in, in the league. And it was a, really uh, just a, a great experience in a way that, you know, I started my, my career by watching a game with the, uh, with the, the Celtics and I ended up finishing my career with them. Yeah, I don't think you could draw it up much better than that to to have that be the case, and that's that's incredible there. And you know, you look at that time, and you mentioned some of the the names, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bob Lanier. Obviously, it's a different time in in basketball with with when you look at the bigs and, and the centers. But were those a couple of the guys? And who else kind of drove you to be a better player? You know, guys you went up against, and guys that you know, hey. Tonight I'm going up against Kareem. I've got to bring my A game if I want to have a good game for my team. Yeah, uh, Bob Lanier, Bill Walton, and and, and there was just a, a host of other guys. Uh, you know, Dave Cowens created different uh, problems for me. Dan Issel, my former teammate, he created a, a situation for me. Uh, going out on the perimeter, they shoot extremely well and, and and able to put the ball on the floor and, and move to the basket. Yeah. So uh, the different centers over the years, they they created uh, uh, challenges for me. And uh, and speaking of uh, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, I mean, he, the, the most. And, and he was such a great offensive player. And and one of the things that allowed me to have some success against him was uh, forcing him to change his rhythm because he catch the ball in rhythm. He's moving to the basket and he was going to, and he had an opportunity to score. So if I could change that, you know, I was having a little bit more success. How hard was it to defend that, that sky hook that he had such great success for in his career. And, you know, at one point became the all-time leading scorer in the NBA. Well, it, it, it was very, very difficult. And, and I said the one thing that uh, helped me was to force him to change his rhythm when he catched the ball, you know, not to allow him to have uh, catch it in rhythm and take it to the basket. So. That's some good stuff right there. Good video of uh, you guys going at it uh, back in the day when he was with the Lakers, you were with the Bulls. And, you know, so as you said, you, you, Finish your career with the Celtics. You know what? What goes through your, an athlete's mind when you know? Okay, this is the end of the line. Retirement is upon me. What What was that decision like? And and was it a tough time for you to to make that decision to step away from a game that that you love and 
and you grew up playing. Yeah, it, it, it was always tough. You know, I, I, I figured, I said, you know, my body, uh, I'm, I'm only, well, only about 37. I said, I mean, I got a couple more good years. And I felt like it, but obviously, you know, my performance, a few steps slower, not quite as much lift in my legs, and certainly others can observe it, but you as an individual, you say, you're always mentally, you're saying, man, I, I know I can I can do it for another year. I, you always believe that, you know, I have one more year, I can, I can give it up, but uh, instead, I took that year, uh, one year, and I went to Italy. I took it uh, to Bologna, Italy, and uh, had uh, my family with me. And that was uh, that was a, a great educational experience. And then finalizing that one last year that I thought I had and, and played very well over in, in Italy. But uh, it, it, it was time to move on. Well, when you look at it, 17 years as a pro, 11 time as an all-star in the ABA, the NBA as well. Did you think and were you waiting for for that call to come from from the Hall of Fame? I eventually did, but, uh, you know, did you think that, okay, I've done enough, my resume is enough, I'm a surefire Hall of Famer? I, I, I thought that. I thought about it and thought about it. And after the extended period of time, you know, then it uh, it was I was a, a, quite a bit of uh, uncertainty there, and then uh, uh, it finally happened, and uh, I was uh, just elated and proud to be uh, selected as a Hall of Famer. Yeah, you wrapped up your career as you said in Italy in 1989. You were elected in 2011. In your mind, or, or do you know what, what took it so long to, to get you in the Hall of Fame? Obviously, again, your resume proves that you know, you're one of the best out there, the best to play the game. But, but why, in your mind, did it take so long for that induction to come? You know, I, I think because I've never really been a verbal per, a person and just getting it out there and talking about it, talking it up, you know, and becoming visible on the media set, I, I, I think that has something to do with it because I was always, and I've always been kind of a really quiet individual and just and sitting back. And I said, well, you know, the statistics speaks for themselves. You know, I don't, they, they don't I, it's not necessary for me to go out there and promote myself and, and do those things. But, uh, Apparently that was absolutely necessary to do, but uh, it finally came, and I, you know, uh, it allowed me to have my my son-in-law, my daughter, my grandkids, and my my youngest son to be there and be a part of it. So I, it could not have uh, happened at a more special time. Yeah, certainly, uh, timing maybe was the right time for you, as you said, to have uh, all your family there and and, and be there. Uh, I, I know some of the duties you've had, you know. Post your playing career, you've, you've worked back at your alma mater, Jacksonville University. You were a special assistant for the president. You currently work on the, the radio broadcast as well. Uh, why go back there? I'm sure you had some opportunities maybe to do some other stuff, but but why your love for, for Jacksonville University? Why does that continue now that, that you're involved with, with different things with the Dolphins? 
you said it right. I mean, you spoke absolutely uh, because of the love and and the connection. That's where it all started from. And I I love that institution, even though I recognize that there is such a need in being a private program. Uh, we are trying to find some way of uh, creating a really nice endowment and be able to provide for uh, uh, stud students of need and continue to grow and be the uh, fantastic uh, institution that it is uh, as of now, just continue to uh, move that forward. And you mentioned, uh, again, Hugh Durham and, and his time at Florida State. Was he still there when you started broadcasting the games? And, and that relationship, uh, it seems like, as you said, has developed a little bit uh, after your playing career. Uh, no, actually, no, Mike. Uh, uh, Hugh had moved on, but uh, and actually I came in really, really late. Uh, uh, so it's, it really seemed late, but I've actually been on the broadcast for – uh probably close to uh 15 years or so now but i have enjoyed it and, and you and with uh, being a home team it, it makes it very difficult uh, to really open up and say listen well such and such an individual you, you're the, you're a home team guy and you have to think of all the positive things to say so it's a different little different from being just a public uh, uh a broadcaster you know and uh uh, that makes it really, really special and, and, and so much more enjoyable. Yeah, certainly. I can I can relate to that, being the broadcaster at UNCW and, uh, you know, uh, kind of slanting a little bit toward that side when you when you call a game. But, uh, again, uh, you've been doing it, as you said. Is, is it difficult, frustrating at times when, when you, you call a game, you look at it, you know, today's players through the lens of maybe when, when you played because it's – you know, it's a different game. The players are different as well. Uh, what is that like when, when you look out on the floor and it's, you know, it's, again, it's different than back in the days when you played? Yes, Mike, I totally agree. It is so different. Uh, it's, I said, you know, uh, yeah, mentally I think about it. I said, you know, that should be done the same way in <laughs> Uh, for for 30 years that that much of the game should not be changed but obviously there's a number of aspects of the game has changed and uh and apparently that's that's part of the the way it is uh, the the transition of the game from earlier years to what it is now but uh you're right sitting on the sideline and you think about it, and you said you try to transform your thoughts into something in, 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 a, in, a, in a description, whereas that shouldn't have happened that way. But you have to kind of put the little twist on it and, and change it up. But you know, in real reality, you know, wow, if if that individual would have. Uh, actually gone through the basic fundamentals of the game the way I, I've kind of understood it in the years, he would have had a little bit more success in that defending that player offensively, uh, some, some things of that, that nature. 
Yeah, certainly has evolved and it has changed uh, for sure. As, as we said, as you know, the, the players have changed as well. I, I want to end on this. Uh, you know, they call you the A train. Uh, when did that nickname come about? Who, who gave you that nickname, the A train? Well, actually, in Chicago, you know, uh, it was back uh, after we had started to play very, very well. And I think we were the first team to really turn the lights down and uh, introduce the players. And, and it always takes a, a while for the lights to come back up because of those gas lanterns and get them back up. But uh, because of the power, I mean, I was playing with an awful lot of power. And then so one of the announcers just came up and introduced everybody. And then suddenly he just said, and here is the A-train, Artis Gilmore. And then, it, it just kind of certainly blend and stuck and and become a part of the process and become me, you know. And uh, I, I I love the attachment. And you've got a book out pretty recently with you know the A Train, uh, a big part of that name as well. And people want to see more, hear more about you. Obviously, this is about an hour interview, but there's so much more to you. Where can they find that book if they want to get that and, and learn more about Artis Gilmore? Yes, boy, thank you for mentioning that. Uh, yeah, Amazon. You can go to Amazon or any place that you order your book, and and uh, here here comes the A train. I should have had a copy here to show, but uh, uh, thank there you. There we go. Yeah, yeah, JR's okay. on top yeah. of it for us. Yeah, they, thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Putting that little plug in there. Yeah. Yeah, so here comes the A-Train, the story of basketball legend Artis Gilmore. Get that copy if, uh, again, you want to hear more of the story here. Artis, how, how else can people follow you? If you know, Are you on social media at all? Do you have a website? How can they follow you if, you know, and, and, and what you're doing now? And, again, learn more about uh, your career. Well, uh, I'm not really good at the so – I'm working with my kid, my, my kid that he understands that, but – uh, social media. I'm, I'm Twitter. I have a artist Gilmore uh, um, um, website, and uh, you can you can actually go there at that, that that the website and check me out. And, uh, and I work a little bit on Twitter, so you can you can reach out to those areas and and uh, and uh, find me find some things. And I'm. I'm working on trying to develop my skills a little bit more so I can actually respond to all all, all of my fans out there that really want would love to uh, connect with me. Thank you so much, Mike. Uh, and one one little story I wanted to share about that 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 book, and it was funny that uh, Rick Barry and I was talking about that. You know, that's Rick Barry in the book, on the cover of the book, and so. Uh, there was a, a, a another picture that I said we probably should have put that picture on. It's me, my rookie year, blocking uh, Rick Barry's shot at, at the fairgrounds in New York, and it is one fantastic picture. Me and the camera just kind of focusing down, and I'm up with my hand up above, above the backboard. Is that and it there? That no, that's that's, oh, that's you. okay. But that you know, that's one of them. He likes that photograph as well. But uh, there's another one. Uh, 
but that 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 is probably one of the best photographs in in the history of basketball there that particular one well we love that we love that and and again you're on those jacksonville university broadcasts so people can certainly uh, follow you and listen to you on that as well. And uh, artists, I can't thank you enough for spending some time with us. Just an incredible story that you have and, and congratulations on, on a wonderful career. Finally getting that call to the Hall of Fame back in 2011. And uh, I'm, I'm glad we're doing this interview sitting down because the last time somebody took a picture of you and I standing up next to each other <laughs> and I didn't win that battle either. So I, I feel Rick Barry's pain because uh, you were towering over me still at seven, two and, uh, and again, it's been a pleasure having you as a guest with us here today in the front row. Thank you so much, Michael. Thank you. Thank you. Wow, that's amazing. We just had a Hall of Famer in the front row, and I cannot thank him enough, Artis Gilmore, for joining us here today. What a thrill. Some great names, ABA, NBA, that we heard from the 2011 Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame inductee. Our special thanks. Some of the video you saw was from Jacksonville University. 70s fan and official hoop hall as well. Hey, if you enjoyed that as much as we did watching and talking with Artis Gilmore, like it, subscribe to our channel. There are so much more great guests out there that we are connecting with and they're going to be with us in the front row at some point. So be sure to subscribe. Do not miss another guest coming up. But again, our thanks to Artis Gilmore spending some time with us here today for our entire crew. I'm Mike Vaccaro. We thank you for joining us in the front row. Have a great day, everybody.